This is an energy sport podcast. Insightful, in-depth and entertaining sports content from Napier to you. This is the Football Roundup, energy sport's longest running football show. Each week our team of football writers and podcasters deliver their views on the weekend's action from Scotland, England and the wider world of football. With our panel bringing knowledge, insight and passion, you can be rest assured of quality from each episode of the Football Roundup. Hello and welcome back to the Football Roundup, Energy Sports' longest-running football show. My name is Jack Donnelly and as always we're here on a Monday to discuss the weekend that's just happened and the beautiful game from Scotland, England and the wider world of football. As always, I'm not alone on this show, I'm joined by three of Energy Sports' finest as we get ready to discuss what's happened over the last few days. Uh, starting off with uh, Mr Struan Garvey. Struan, how are you doing today, mate? I'm not bad at all there. I tried to unmute my mic and I double tapped my laptop, so I pulled up options to my delay there. But uh, yeah, I'm doing well. It's Monday and yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Outstanding stuff. We're also joined by Graham Sinclair. Graham, how are you getting on, mate? Oh, it's Scotland fever time, Jack. <laughs> it's, it's the week of, isn't it? It's, it's all going to build up from here. Phil Hamden on Saturday, Israel. What a week it's going to be. Is it going to be the time that Steve Clark beats Israel for the first in five attempts? Really hope so at this point. It better be, I'll tell you that. Bloody better be. Uh, We are also delighted to be joined by Mr Jamie McIntosh. Jamie, how are you doing today, mate? Very good, thanks. Just another uh, fantastic weekend of the uh, cinch, cinch action up here north of the border. So delighted to be here to talk about this. Cannot wait to get stuck into the cinch. But we're going to get stuck into something else first, and that is, of course, big question we do at start the show. Just a little bit of something lighter, but we've mentioned the word stuck in a couple of times already, and that's exactly what this first big question entails. Uh, we were just kind of talking about this. There's something over the weekend that brought about the need for this big question to be asked. A bit more tongue-in-cheek, but uh, I just want to know what's the worst tackle that uh, everyone remembers seeing or can think of in, the, in their heads from a, from a professional game because uh, I'd imagine there'll be plenty in the amateur games in th- Sunday League that many of us will have seen over the years but we don't have footage to go back to and look at them so professional game, worst tackle we've seen and I'll go to Graham first Yeah well I'm a little bit older than you guys so I'm going to go back to 2006 which is probably the infancy of some of your football you guys football in love but I was already in, in there in uh, Manchester City, before they were owned by an oil c- state country, mm-hmm. uh, they played Portsmouth in a game, and Ben Thatcher, who was uh, a left-back for them, cleans out Pedro Mendes with the worst elbow you will ever see in your life. It is absolutely like disturbing to watch. I can't remember what how bad it was for Mendes, but I know he missed time with a major concussion, and... It was one of those ones that was so... I, I just read it there. Mendes had a seizure at the pitch because the elbow was so bad. Uh, Thatcher was not sent off by the referee, just given a yellow card. And it was so bad that there was even uh, talk that he should be criminally prosecuted for assault. So that's mine. See, I'm playing the game where as soon as I hear what tackle people are talking about, I'm just going to go and look it up on YouTube. That is blatant. That... There's even I don't even think he's watching the ball. He literally just runs full head of steam into the guy's face, and then, yeah, that is oh my god. Yeah, that, yeah, that's bad. That that's quite bad, and it was just a booking. Of course, it was. Uh, Jamie, how about yourself? Where where are you delving into for this one? 
Well, before it was called the Tony Macaroni, anyway, uh, the, the, the last time Hearts were in the Championship before last season. Um, Jason Talbot was playing for Livingston. Uh, I believe he was the captain back then, actually, of Livy. And uh, he literally booted Sam Nicholson in the face with his, uh, with his left boot. It was also given as a yellow card. Uh, he received a two-game ban, if memory serves me right, and um, Nicholson required stitches to his face because, I mean, he, he had a couple of studs stuck in there. Terrible tackle, and uh, it wasn't even a fucking red card. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would just seen that one, but yeah, that warrants that. But uh, foot literally comes up and cats him square in the face. That's uh... I, I I couldn't get my my leg that high to be honest. It's not it's not like one of those where Nicholson puts his head down. No those sort of high boot decisions kind of start to annoy me now, but. That is a high boot if ever I've seen one. On so, on the yeah. and it kicks off afterwards. Oh, there's a wee bit of handbags going on after it as well. That's uh, Cam Patterson getting involved. There you go. Aye, that's uh, a howler. A howler, right enough. Uh, Struan, how about yourself? Where are you going for this one, pal? The one I the one I wanted to say actually happened before my time, and it was um, Roy Keane taking out Alf Angie mm. Haaland. Of course, there was a bit of history to do with that one, but. One that I remembered um, happening was a was a Manchester United Chelsea game just before COVID, literally um, a few months before earlier on, and Michi Bakshiwai had pushed Harry Maguire off to the sidelines, and as he was falling down, Harry Maguire extended his leg and sort of um, boots him in the balls. Yeah, got Bakshiwai <laughs> in the sensitive parts, and absolutely nothing was given. And it's when you watch it back, it's so blatant. And I believe Harry Maguire's excuse was he saw the Bakshiwai was falling, so he extended his leg to try and catch him, but. Um, in the end, he just tended to uh, to hit him right where it hurts, which was, um, from, a, from a Man United point of view, of course, at the time, I, I claimed it wasn't bad, but when you rewatch it back, I just don't understand how VAR was in use at that time, didn't give anything. Mm. Uh, he hit Batshuayi where it hurts, and then he went on to hit Chelsea where it hurts, because I believe he scored the second goal in that 2-0 win. He did indeed. When the arguments would have said he shouldn't have even been on the pitch, I don't know who would be speaking those arguments, definitely not me. Uh... I think for me, it's almost a bit cliche to go for the one that I'm thinking of, but you just think of a horrible tackle within football. Your mind goes back to the South Africa World Cup final in a, in not in a 2010, that just kung fu kick from uh, Nigel de Jong against Xabi Alonso, just flying through the air, boots him clean in the chest. Yeah, when you, when you think of bad tackles, that's the kind of first image you have of him flying through the air. Howard Webb, of course, dishing out 14 yellow cards in that match. I mean... Talk about a rough and tumble final. There's a couple of others that I think of. There was one before any of our times that we, we literally chucked on a compilation before we started recording of the worst tackles in a, in a football. There was one from Graham Souness. Literally takes the ball. He's going to lose possession against a guy. So he literally puts his foot up, stomps on a guy's thigh, like just mid-move, and then just goes to the ground claiming that he raked him in the leg. Ridiculous. And then there was one recently from... Uh, Sadio Mane against Ederson, a high boot, and ended up kind of cutting him open, cutting his face open a bit. And I think he was sent off for that, Graham, if, I, if I'm right. Was it? Was Mane sent off for that? He was, he was sent off, and then we got absolutely dropped 5-0, yeah. 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 So, yeah. There were a fair few dodgy tackles over, over our time in, uh, in watching funny football. That all, funny that all four of ours did not result in red cards, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> we picked them all that didn't result in red cards. One challenge did this weekend. We're going to get onto that very, very shortly as we begin our coverage of this weekend's action up in Scotland. And considering we've got a Jer and a Hybe on the podcast, we might as well start with Rangers 2 Hibernian 1. Rangers going into the international break, sitting on top of the Cinch Premiership after goals from Kmar Roof and Alfredo Morelos cancelled out Kevin Nisbet's early opener. 
Graham, you must be fairly pleased with how this game uh, panned out in the end. Uh, more relieved than anything else because uh, the Ryan Porteous red card stopped what was going to be a Hibernian victory. Quite, you were quite certain on that. That had the Hibs were so comfortable and so dominant in the opening thirty minutes of that game. Rangers had a shot on target, and the Porteous red just completely changed the complexion of it. I'm not, some, you know, I'm not something that particularly loves to go through every decisions on the podcast. No. Like more in private, I'll talk about them more. It's quite, quite fun that way. <laughs> but this one just completely changed the way the game worked. It was like a complete momentum shift and completely. Altered how the game was played. Uh, Stuart, I'm going to come to you because on the podcast that Graham and I recorded for our Friday News Day, we were talking about this game and I said that Ryan Portis has been a very important player for Hibernian this season and I feel like he's really kind of matured and come along uh, as a player. Then this happens and he completely just spits in my face uh, at that. Uh, what What was your take on the on the on the red card? Because obviously. As Graham said, Hibs were looking quite good at that point. Nisbet had scored, I think, just 10 or 12 minutes before the, the incident itself. And then Ryan Porteous goes sliding in on Joe Aribo and ends up receiving his marching orders. Well, I've, I've only seen replays of this game because, Jack, as you know, you and I were at uh, Hibs Rangers, so we couldn't watch Hibs Rangers. Um, Very true, was, yeah. I th- for me, it is a red card. I don't think it's really debatable. You know, there is an argument he gets the ball, but for me, he misses it. He's high up. It's a dangerous challenge. And... I like Ryan Porteous. I think he is a really good defender, but I feel every single time I'm praising him, I'm saying, you know, he still has to cut these errors and these mistakes out of his game. But I think as well, I should, you know, acknowledge the fact that he still is only 22 years of age. You know, he's very young for a centre-half. I know this is his third season of being a, a first-team regular, but you can you can still see he's a bit young and inexperienced. And it's it's just a nightmare, really, from my hip's point of view, because obviously they were winning away from home at Ibrox. You know, it could have been a, a an historic victory, and mm. then in the end, to throw it away really like that, I think, is bad. You know, and then to last until is it the sixtieth minute or around that period? Yeah, Kamar Ruth yeah. got one back. I think from that point on, you know, it's it's just over for Hibs because <laughs> we know already that Hibs' biggest issue this season has been their defence. So to lose one of their main defenders against the best team in the country is it's just never going to go well from that point. No, and uh, particularly when this is an area that's been needing addressed for Hibs in a, a lot of uh, recent markets, they've not really looked to strengthen uh, their depth at the back. I mean, they've got uh, the young guy uh, that they brought in towards the end of the window. Uh, Nathan Wood. Nathan Wood, thank you. I was, I was hasn't the... seen the pitch yet. Not, well, I mean, he's got a good opportunity now, I suppose, for coming back from the international break to potentially get a few minutes under his belt. Uh Jamie, I suppose, I suppose for you after this one, you'll you'll be more happy to see that there's only one team left in the Sins Premiership with an undefeated uh, record at the moment. But more on that in a little bit. Uh, again, when Hibs were kind of going through it, there was a really good opportunity for them to actually get victory here. I mean, we we've kind of documented Rangers' defensive frailties over over the last kind of few weeks or so, and we know that a number of their players haven't been up to the same standard as they were last season, but. When you see that early goal go in from Nisbet, you think that Hibs could potentially go on and get a really important result here and that could have even opened up the battle at the top even more than it already is. Yeah, I fancied Hibs uh, to get something at Ibrox, to be honest, before the game. And saw they went 1-0 up. Uh, didn't bother streaming the game. Um, saw they went 1-0 up and thought, yeah, it doesn't really surprise me. It wasn't overly surprised. You've, They've been pretty critical of Rangers. I don't think they've impressed very much this season. They've certainly not impressed me. Uh, and Hibs have. Uh, Hibs have 
Hibs have looked very good going forward, and I thought Hibs did have the players to uh, to cause Rangers some problems. The red card obviously is a turning point, and um, you know up until that point, I, I'm told anyway, Hibs were the better team. Um, so red card changed the game, and uh, yeah, it is a red card. Of course, it's a red card. Um, I, I a lot of people kind of say no, it's because he goes in with force and goes to ground and gives the referee a decision to make. Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. He he misses the ball. <laughs> The ball's there to be won. Uh, the, the ball's in the open there. Rebo's not really got control of it. So the ball's there for him to be won. He can slide in, and if he takes the ball first and follows through, that's fine. I, I wouldn't give him a red card for that, even at the pace that he does go in at. But you need to take the ball, and he misses it. <laughs> he completely misses the ball because, for me, he tries to, to leave a bit on a Rebo and, as opposed to just taking the ball cleanly. It's not a difficult tackle, and... Uh, because he tries to leave a bit on a rebo, he goes over the ball. It hits him halfway up his his leg, and uh, yeah. So I don't bother looking at the stills or that. I don't think they can tell the. I can't the take anything story. from a still. From both both sides of an argument, really, I don't bother looking at the stills. But uh, for me, that's a pretty conclusive red card, and I would be surprised if Hibbs appealed it. And uh, Graham, coming into this, well, there are a couple of changes for Rangers. Going back to them for a moment, uh, I think you were quite. Happy, or at least uh, a little bit intrigued to see James Tavernier drop for this one uh, for Nathan Patterson. Of course, he's going to be hoping for a, for a big involvement this Saturday coming against Israel. So there's been a number of players that Rangers have kind of relied on a little bit more and they've kind of seen play a little bit more. I mean, Patterson for one, of course, getting the assist for the opening goal. I think John Lundstrom had apparently had a really good game again in the, in the middle of the park for Rangers. So, I mean, is Gerard starting to make the right decisions in terms of his uh, starting personnel for these games? It's it's hard to pick because we have been very chopping and changing a lot so far this season. We've I'm not even sure if we played the same team in two two straight games at this point in the season due to a number of reasons, just the fixture overload and just inju- injuries. We seem to have more issues in any point last season, but there's also like some more competition in places that didn't have it. Like like the example you mentioned, Patterson and Tavernier, and Patterson. Wasn't his best game. I think it was quite a similar for the Scotland Moldova game he played, where there was quite a lot of errors. He was right. He quite feel like quite a lot of sloppy crossing, a bit raw. I guess he's not these young players. It's kind of why, but he also provides a constant threat. He's constantly trying to beat players and be progressive. And he got his assist, which I thought, well, it wasn't a perfect performance. The effort you put in is what got he got eventually got his reward for that. And I would like to see him play more please from a national perspective I would also like to see him play a fair bit more than he has been already uh, Struan just to round off I just kind of want to come to you Just we're heading into the international break now as we've mentioned and uh, Hibs went into this one undefeated they've of course recorded their first loss of the campaign but how are you feeling after it as, as the kind of Hibs fan I mean obviously not nice to lose it in that manner when you are looking good having kind of gone into the opening half an hour then losing uh, Porteous losing the two goals but I mean still kept competitive I suppose and then you could probably still come back after the international break and try and hit the league as hard as you possibly can again Yeah I think it's been a very good start from Hibs to be honest you know coming into this game although Hibs were undefeated I was wary of what Rangers could bring to the table I thought Nathan Patterson was really good as well just from what I've seen in the highlights and um, as soon as I saw well as soon as I was told about the red card I think you saw my facial reaction at the time Jack you know I said (laughs) that's um, that'll be it I'll be thrown away as I said you know 
Hibs have a glaring weakness and it is their defence and to lose one of the defenders is just you're basically accepting at that point that the best result you could get is a draw of course as, as well it was at Ibrox with no Hibs fans there mm-hmm. so in all honesty I'm not too you know disappointed with the result I understand that things went against Hibs on this occasion but yeah. it's it's points to take you know hopefully they can learn from this and get, just say you know keep your composure you, you see the difference when we get a man sent off how the team changes, you know, I felt a bit sorry for Scott Allen as well because of the red card, you know, he, he had to be substituted off for Darren McGregor, Scott Allen has done really well in recent games, you know, this was a massive opportunity for him to play against Rangers, and in the end he, he never really got to make the impacts, he had to come off in a tactical substitution, but there are still a lot of positives to come, I hope Nathan Wood gets some game time, I am starting to question why he, he was initially signed, given the fact that once again he's not been played in any of these games, nor come on as a substitute, so... I don't think he has come on as a substitute, at least. But, yeah, it's, it's definitely positives to take from Hibs. I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic here. I was just wondering, lads, uh, you saw uh, Hibernian Moving yesterday. I believe they were also playing Rangers. Uh, did did Hibernian Moving get three points in that game as, as well? They didn't did actually, Graham. No, no, uh, not, well, if no. you'd read my match report, you'd have known. That's, that's <laughs> quite mean. You know, I, I put a match report out there. And I've been clearly... listening to my excellent commentary over on Recast where I, where I was uh, trying to talk through the game. Uh, you, you would have known that. But, uh, no, Zoe Ness is... Uh, Scored the only goal of the game actually dropped to her from a from kind of breakdown from a corner and just hit it into the bottom left hand corner early into the second half. So well, I, wasn't aware, I wasn't aware of that when I asked the question. My apologies. Just, <laughs> I'll, I'll just jump in here actually. It's funny that um, you know Stu mentioned Scott Allen. Obviously, I know Jack Ross has to make uh, had to make a change. Obviously, had to bring another centre half on. Scott Allen was unfortunately for him the player sacrificed. But you know, I, I do wonder. You know, Scott Allen was obviously as Strun said that was a big game for him. He was returning to to the scene of that uh, absolutely magnificent display that he showed uh, back in August 2019. Uh, he, he he played a pass, and I think Hibbs, uh, he got an assist actually that day. It was that that really good pass mm. in the, the 6-1 uh, defeat that Hibbs had at Ibrox that day. I just I wasn't sure if, if that was maybe playing on Jack Ross's mind. He might have kept him on to see if he could repeat that, that pass, but uh, no, obviously not. <laughs> just thought I'd mention that. I just... <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Can we move on from Hibs, please? <laughs> he dangled the bait. He dangled. Well, I mean, let, let's make Jamie even happier because we're moving straight from Leith to Gorgie as uh, Hearts got another result and saw themselves top of the Sins Premiership for at least a few hours uh, until Rangers got the win over Hibs on the on the Sunday. They remain unbeaten as they ran out 2-0 winners over Motherwell. And on a rare occasion, Jamie was not the only energy sport member at this game because I was actually in the press box while he was up with the Prawn Sandwich Brigade in hospitality. So how, how was that <laughs> afternoon for you, Jamie? Were Hearts playing on Saturday? Oh, jeez, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, what was the score? No, no, it was really good. It was really good. It was uh, Pal's birthday, so we said we'd, we'd go do hospitality. Um always helps when they win. We've done it once mm. before and I think we drew two all with Hamilton when Craig Levine was the manager so it wasn't exactly a, a brilliant day to be honest but uh, not another another solid performance from uh, from Hearts, another clean sheet. Um, that's obviously back-to-back clean sheets after mm. the kind of change of system in Dingwall so um, yeah, you, you, you really can't grumble. Everybody's kind of now saying, well, you know, a newly promoted team and I remember Ali McCoyst before the season started. He said Hearts were going to come tenth. You know, I, I had Hearts coming in the top four, um, so I'm, I'm am I surprised to see them second? Well, yes, but I'm not surprised to kind of see them start the start the season in the, the the positive fashion that they have done. I've always been a pretty big fan of Robbie Nielsen, to be honest. Unlike uh, plenty of other members of the Hearts support, but he's going about um, changing their minds the right way. And you know, if the team keeps performing with the same kind of intensity and uh, 
kind of freedom that they're playing with just now, then uh, that's only going to going to continue. And uh, the the main word with Hearts just now is depth. Their, uh, yeah. the, the depth in the squad is ridiculous right now, to be honest, for a squad in Scotland out with the old firm. Um, I actually, you know, it's the, it's the best squad in the league for me out with the old firm um, with regards to depth. You know, I think that Hearts bench is really strong. And, uh, you know, you've still got guys that are missing out in the squad. Like, uh, I can't even think who missed out now in the squad. Aaron McInef, I don't think, was on the bench. Jack, you might be better placed no, to tell no, me. No, he I was the only change from the, from the Livingston game because Ginelli was back fit. Oh, that's right, yeah. So, there you go. So, you've still got players there that are missing out, not even on the bench, that are missing out that could probably start for a lot of teams in, in mm-hmm. Scotland out with the kind of top four or five. So, uh, yeah, you know, Hearts have recruited really well in the summer. You don't need me to tell you that. And uh, it's for me, it's no surprise to see them reaping the rewards of that uh, impressive summer window. They have been reaping. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, that was the first chance I'd had to see Hearts this season, I mean, in the flesh anyway. And... I suppose I was really interested just for this game because it was third versus fourth. Motherwell had been on a really good run as well. Graham Alexander had had them playing some nice stuff and there were a few players in that Motherwell team that I was looking interested to see them play and in the flesh as well, like a Slattery and Kevin Van Veen, stuff like that as well. But for me, it was there were two, two kind of standout performers from Hearts on the day, Jamie. I don't know if you'd agree with me on these. I thought Michael Smith was absolutely excellent at right wing back. I thought he was really, really good down that right-hand side. And then... Admittedly, uh, Benny Banajime in the middle of the park was just outstanding again. Once I, I mean, just the energy that he brings to that midfield is kind of irreplaceable considering uh, kind of how Hearts went the rest of the game. They kind of dropped off a little bit, and second half especially were kind of sitting back, playing a bit more defensively, and just looking to fire it up to Boyce on the counter. But no, for me, it was kind of Smith and uh, Banajime that were the standouts in this encounter. I don't know what you would say to it, Jamie, whether you saw anyone kind of grab the highlights a bit more. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think the two in the middle of the park were brilliant. I am for yeah, sure. Devlin as well. Um, yeah. yeah, but that that to be honest, you mate. After Devlin, that's only Devlin's second, second game, game. Yeah. and uh, you know I think most fans would say already that he, he just looks like such a good player. Uh, him and Beningame in the middle will be will be really good this season. I think they'll be key actually when Hearts go to Ibrox as well in a couple of weeks' time after the international break. Uh, the one thing I would say, Jack, is that a wee bit different uh, Hearts to the team that you saw at Somerset in February. <laughs> Very, very different considering that night. To be fair, the last two times I've seen Hearts, I've seen a Liam Boyce penalty get scored. So yeah. I mean, that, that still at least a little bit of consistency between that those two sides. Uh, I mean, he scored the first one, missed the second one. Kelly did better. I think he kind of had to do a bit better after he made a bit of a mess of the uh, mess of the free kick. I mean, taking the, he took the step to the left and just kind of opened it up for Kingsley yeah. to get in the top left. I so. said that. I said that right away though. I said yeah. that I had a good view of that. I said to you straight away that that was bad goalkeeping. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be honest, with you, the, the the second penalty looked a bit soft, and then Kelly comes off his line. So I wasn't overly impressed with the the officials <laughs> of that game, to be honest. But it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Got the three points in the end. Uh, I suppose. What can we talk about here? I mean, we've we've. I'll, I'll pick up. For, I'll pick on. up for you now. I actually thought that. I mean, it's only complimentary. Hearts weren't anywhere near their best on Saturday, and yet they won pretty comfortably. And they were, they were helped a lot by Liam Kelly. I think that both yeah. the first two goals are his fault, I and mean, the first one's a penalty yeah. that he makes. He challenges. Uh, it was Boyce that got filled for the the first penalty. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it. And it's just like it's, the ball's gone. Like it's not. It's gone nowhere. He's not. He's not a threat. And he just brings him down needlessly. And in the second one, as Jimmy said, he steps the wrong way. And Kingsley goes to the other side, which is quite smart from Kingsley. But I'd expect my keeper to 
two better positioned than that. So they were helped by the Scotland number two having a bad game. For the most part, I thought Hearts were comfortable without having to really get out of third gear, which I think is a real like a massive step. I mean, I've been so so often we talk about when Rangers and Celtic are at their best, they can beat teams without really breaking a sweat. And if Hearts are going to continue to do that, then it's going to be huge for them for the rest of the season. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. I suppose with that we can move on to the kind of final the three bigger games that we had uh, this weekend in the Cinch Premiership. Uh, this one was picked for TV and it took place on Sunday around about lunchtime. Aberdeen won Celtic 2, Celtic picking up their first away win of the season while the pressure continues to mount on Stephen Glass's Aberdeen and Stephen Glass himself. Of course, Struan, you and I have spoken a lot, a lot about Stephen Glass and his time at uh, Aberdeen so far and there have been many many puns made about him whether he's cracking under the pressure or whether he's just dealing with absolute pain of a squad uh, there's plenty more that we could go for but we've not really got the time so it really just was a bit of a still more of a damning result I mean Celtic haven't been great away all season Aberdeen really needed a result going into an international break and just wasn't going for them at all I mean it looked a bit more competitive of course uh, equalised but wasn't to be in the end yeah it was quite difficult to know what to make of Aberdeen in this game. I mean, Celtic took the lead, but for me, David Bates has to do better. I think it's very poor defending to just sort of leave Kyogo there at the back post. But Aberdeen did manage to get back into the game, and I think, I honestly thought once they got back into it, it would end 1-1. I thought it was one of those games where we're talking about, you know, two managers who are under a lot of pressure, and it wouldn't have surprised me at all if it did end in a draw, but Celtic got away, got the points, obviously. You know, they've got the quality in that team. I've, I've been really impressed with Jota so far. You know, I have had doubts over some of his performances, but I think he is a pretty good player, you know, coming from Benfica. From Aberdeen, though, you know, I just... It's just hard to know what to make of them, you know. In a game against Celtic, you sort of have to just say, you know, you, you do expect Celtic to win in Aberdeen's current form. Still only one clean sheet Aberdeen have kept all season. And I think it was eight minutes, was it, Kyogo opened the scoring? So, you know, they didn't didn't hold on to this one for very long either. With Joe Lewis dropped as well, you know, that was quite a big change. It didn't really make too much of a difference long term it's it's difficult it's it really is difficult i think to to really compliment aberdeen in this in this game because obviously they did get a goal back but at the same time they just didn't impress me at all uh jamie i want to come to you here for this one because Stuart mentioned a certain name there david bates uh of course coming in this summer on a, on a free transfer uh just not really lived up to any of that initial kind of Hype. So I don't. I don't even know if I can call it hype. There was just a bit of attention given at the signing because he's he's a name known within Scottish football, and you thought, oh, he might do a turn at Aberdeen, but he's really not hit the heights at all uh, in the red at the moment, has he? I think it's difficult to single out, um, you know, players on, you know, fair enough in this game, obviously. Um, but you know, look, we we've spoken there about Aberdeen's clean sheets record or lack of them, I suppose. Um. And I just think it's very hard to actually be kind of optimistic about Aberdeen at the moment. They are just, a, they're just struggling. And I said a few weeks ago, actually, um, when I was speaking about Hearts under Craig Levine and we just couldn't get that first win. I know Aberdeen have obviously won a game, but when you're a team that's struggling, and I'm not saying that, you know, they're not down the bottom. I'm speaking about Hearts side that was kind of bottom of the league or 11. You know, Aberdeen are ninth in the league now. And, you know, if it wasn't for Dundee being so bad, Ross County probably having such a hard start and, you know, Livingston kind of probably being so bad as well, I suppose you could say, they would be in a wee bit more trouble than they're in. 
Um, you know, they're sitting on eight points from eight games, but they've, you know, they've shipped 11 goals. They've scored nine, so, you know, they're, they're, they're scoring goals, mm-hmm. but they can't defend. And you look at the goals, I mean, for me, I thought the first goal was actually a really good cross from Turnbull, to be fair. Um, I know we're, we're speaking about David Bates having to get tighter to Kyogo, but sometimes you do just need to applaud the cross because if David Bates wants to go and stick his head on that, that's fine. But he's going to score an own goal if he does that. It's such a good ball from Turnbull to kind of whip it in between uh, Gary Woods and, and Bates. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, what, what can you say? What, what else can you say about Aberdeen and Stephen Glass, to be honest, just now? It's, it's um, yes, yeah, you know, they've got Dundee away next. And, Christ, if they didn't go and beat Dundee, then... <laughs> There's a real, real problem. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get on to Dundee, I'm sure, pretty briefly. But, you know, if they don't go and beat Dundee next week, uh, two weeks' time, then... Uh, yeah, I think he, you know, he's under pressure already. We know that. But if they don't beat Dundee, goodness me. <laughs> and Graham, he is under pressure a lot, Stephen Glass, just now. But I mean, considering the amount of investment that they've given him and the fact that he's been here for more than just the start of this season, he got brought in maybe around February, March time last year, just to try and bed in his principles as early as he could. I mean, you can't imagine they're going to change things any at any point soon. Not at the moment, no. Uh... I thought they were quite unlucky yesterday to not at least get a point. Uh, I thought they were pretty good. They started off the first 30 minutes. So I just didn't understand what they were trying to do, but they grew into the game, deserved the equaliser, and were quite unlucky to to eventually lose to the to the Jota goal. But I think you've got to continue. You can't get rid of Stephen Glass right now. There's there's a plan in place, and it's, I don't think it's one that he came in and said that I'm going to fix short term. Mm-hmm. This club, it was long term. They're changing their style of football completely, and when you do that, you have players from the past era which who can't adapt. You need to find and root them out. So that's still happening. You have to give you have to give them a chance to do that. We talked a lot in our uh, news podcast last Friday, Jack. That we can mention it. it won't be available. I don't think anywhere. It's basically for assessment purposes only. Yeah. But we can reference it ourselves. We can. Ryan Hedges is just going to be massive, and he got he, he was out yesterday with an illness that was. That was disappointing, but I thought Austin Samuels came in and was like lively when it was a real threat down the right hand side. Yeah. And so there, well, there were positives to take from Aberdeen in this game, and I think they need to stick by Stephen Glass, albeit you have to admit that the results haven't been good enough. Can I can I just jump in here before we move on? You know, Celtic sure. had two shots on target, so yeah. and, and you know scored scored two goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what I wanted to say is, because I think I was the only one that watched this full game, that it's like, I think it was billed as a game between 6th and ninth. that it was like fake positions almost. Like, oh, these yeah, teams are 6th and ninth, but they're both better than that. I watched that game, that was a game between Luke, what felt ninth, like the 6th yeah. best team and the ninth best team. Yeah. And Celtic, Celtic, one of the things about Aberdeen I thought about, I thought they pressed very well. Although they were helped by the fact that the Celtic planet from the back looked absolutely terrible. Particularly Joe Hart, who I met, who I said specifically looked dodgy as hell. Ah, you pointed the camera. One of the things when Joe Hart was initially signed was the fact that Pep Guardiola sold him because he couldn't play out from the back, and Postecoglou wanted a goalkeeper who could play out from the back, and I think that's just shown why people were having that concern. Yeah, because he's terrible at it. The amount of time Starfield passes the ball back to him just in any game, you know, even if you look back at the um, Leverkusen game in the Europa League, did he just punts it wide and they lose possession. Yeah, it's, it's not limited to Joe Hart. I thought all four of the back four were guilty of it. And there were so many times that eventually they just kicked out of play because they were playing themselves off the trouble. And that was across the whole back four. And like I said, that part of that is where I want to give Aberdeen credit because they did press well. But 
Celtic looked, Celtic looked bad and I guess yeah, you can look at that in the positive yeah. sense that under a political go so far they have uh, played well in a lot of games and not got the result like they had so many chances and just wasted chances yesterday was the opposite of that they did not play well at all they had two shots on target yep. they really probably didn't deserve to win the game but they managed to stick it out at the end they picked up their first away win since Valentine's Day like that could be a springboard for a good run of form after the international break, I think. Time will time will tell, obviously. I just quickly before you move on, Jack. So as I was saying there, one day two shots on target, sorry, for Celtic, two goals. Aberdeen against St. Mirren in the first half completely dominated the game. Teddy Jenks gets sent off, they go on to lose the game. St. Mirren had four shots on target, scored three goals. St. Johnston, Aberdeen lose one nil at Petodre. They had sixty six percent of possession that day. St. Johnston one shot on target, win the game one nil. Go to Firth Park, 75% possession, lose the game 2-0. Uh, Ross County at home, 1-1, 75% of this uh, possession, 23 goal attempts, draw the game 1-0. I don't... I, I, is there... Are they just unlucky? <laughs> I mean, I'm just looking at the stats. don't tell the whole story, but when you do uh, put them course, like that, no, of course. Uh, it does kind of suggest that, doesn't it? It's, it's mental that they've not won any of these games. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, I don't know. Like it's, it, The stats would tell you that they're creating chances and they've maybe just been unlucky, but they've given up some cheap goals. And yeah. to be honest with you, considering how comfortably they, they looked in that first half against St. Mirren, they go and get the red card. There's, you know, 35 minutes left. You know, I'm not saying it's easy to play. Um, when you go down to 10 men, obviously it's very difficult, but Aberdeen folded that, that game. You know, yeah. St. Mirren aren't a, a team full of goals and to concede three goals to St. Mirren, to be honest with you, you got seven men. I would be pretty disappointed if Hearts conceded three goals to save They were calamitous goals they conceded as well, which is why yeah, exactly. Joe Lewis just dropped yesterday. Yeah. None of the goals were particularly awe-inspiring from St Mirren. They were all deflections or scrappy goals, particularly the third one where I think Joe Lewis just tried to come out for it and just completely misses it and goes in the back of the net. So... I suppose with that one though, I think Glass of Man- um, game management was called into question because I think he didn't make changes initially after that red card and you think if you're going to make a change you might want to just start protecting this lead while you've got it. But I don't think the changes came for another 20 minutes after the red card and they were like for like swaps, a striker for a striker, winger for a winger. So it wasn't anything to try and buff up the defence and try and keep things as tight as you possibly could while you're just kind of riding out that result. They were very just samey at that point and I think fair enough by that point they conceded and they were chasing the equaliser, but I think if you try and manage that game a bit more effectively, you bring on another defender or another midfield presence just before you concede again. So I think that's where a lot of the kind of questions were being asked of Glass in that game as well was uh, just the game management. But uh, Jamie, as you said with the stats, I mean, it does look like Aberdeen are creating and they're potentially being a bit unlucky, but I mean, it does come down to the fact we say it, like stats can't tell the whole story, but I suppose that there's probably a bit of truth into, into those ones anyway. Uh, just get a kind of quick roundup of the, the rest of the Premiership fixtures. A little touch on the Championship as well. Uh, you had St Johnston beating Dundee 3-1. I think a few kind of surprises to take from this one were St Johnston actually scoring three goals in a game and Dundee scoring at all. That was, I mean, they, they've really struggled for goals uh, this season. Dundee actually getting one in this game while it was just a consolation. I mean something to build on I can hardly say that really because not got much much of anything to build on they're sat bottom still looking for their first win and I, d- I don't know it just doesn't really seem to be going 
anywhere quickly for Dundee at the moment. I don't know if anyone's got opinions on Dundee or what's been happening there, well, but a kind of an overall opinion of the okay, KK. You just kind of group those three, these last two games together. Is that I think that we've probably found like our bottom tier of teams who will be fighting between rele- for relegation. It's a it's a group of three. It is Dundee. It's Ross County and it's Livingston. Yeah. And it was no, it's teams. not. There you go. Oh, go on, Jamie. Go on. Who's still Ro- in there? Ross County for me. I was going to say Ross County aren't aren't in it. Um, no, I, I think no. uh, I, I've been quite impressed with Ross County from what I've seen, and I think if Ross County keep playing the way they are, the, the results will come for them. I do think they've had a very difficult start, and yeah. I've watched the highlights back on Sports Scene. You know, we know Dundee United tough team to play against because they don't score many, but they don't concede many either. We look at the goal that Ross County conceded; it's an individual error from the goalkeeper, who was very impressive when Hearts played the Ross County. And I think Ross County created enough chances. To be honest, I think they're I think they're created enough chances to to be on uh, more more points that they're on just now. And uh, I think if they keep playing like that, they've got a couple of big home games coming up. I think this is a chance for Ross County to maybe um, put out a bit of a statement that they're they're down there despite a tough start, but they'll have easier games coming up where they can get three points. For me, just to add to what Jamie said there, I think Ross County had six shots on target in that game as well. To be honest, and it's it's one of the best goalkeepers in the league in Benjamin Seagrass. So I think there are definitely positives to take. It's absolutely. I think there's been positives for Dundee as well. Just the fact that they've played well in a lot of the games I think I've seen them play. Just they can't score goals and they can't defend. And I don't really think Ross County can defend either. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I agree with you and that they've looked good at times and they've had a hard run, but ultimately they've not won a game yet and they've conceded 16 goals in the league and that's not a sustainable model to survive in this league traditionally, I would say. The teams that stay up are the ones that I would say can at least look competent defensively and neither Ross County and Dundee or really Livingston, although Livingston's yeah. major problem is goal scoring. Uh, like neither like none of those teams so far have like filled me with optimism that they're like they're definitely the three bottom teams for me. You might have Ross County tenth, but they are definitely adrift from the rest of the league. I mean Dundee, if you go back to the actual game and watch the game this it, like it was so comfortable to St Johnston. It, they were three up just after half time with a Stephen May goal. And that probably didn't even do justice for how dominant they were. Dundee offered mm. nothing until they went until this. Stephen May had got the third goal. When we talked at length about St Johnston being a side that really didn't matter the opposition, they're going to be tight. But on Saturday they doubled their goal tally for the entire season. So uh, that, James McPake after this game branded his team a championship team. But that's I look not, at their lineup. That's not encouraging. That's well, not look, encouraging at all. I look at their. I look at their lineup. It is a championship team. It's yeah. a team that played in the championship last season, with the exception of Ryan Sweeney at uh, centre half. The the rest of them played last season. So you know Charlie Adams injured. You don't need me to tell you that, that he's the the main part of that Dundee team. Everybody said that if Charlie Adams got injured, Dundee were going to struggle, and that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you know, doesn't doesn't surprise me to be honest. But there you go. Although I, I did have them like seven for six or something in our uh, prediction league. Did you? For some, for <laughs> some reason. I, I, I had them had, seven. I think I, I had, had them seventh or eighth. I think I had them sixth. I can't remember where I put them actually. Oh. No, I got them yeah, seventh. Just oh, hearts. I had, I, I had Aberdeen uh, splitting the old firm anyway, so what the fuck do I know? <laughs> <laughs> that was all bit fun. Sorry about that. That was all bit funny. Anyway. What was that? It was an Andrea on my phone. <laughs> yeah, I. Do we do we know how long Lee Griffiths is out for? Uh, three to five years, depending on what the court tells him. Yeah, I was gonna say. 
Good. You, you set you. that one up. So. <laughs> you did set that was a big set up from your strength, to be fair. <laughs> uh, I suppose. I suppose. It doesn't really matter how long he has out for. He's not the same player he ever has been. No, I don't, I don't really think he adds anything to that Dundee team. No. Anyway, I, 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 one get, I mean, you mentioned Ross County in that one. Of course, they were playing Dundee United this weekend. And while it was a 1 0 win for Dundee United, uh, the whole kind of thing with the game was kind of overshadowed by reports of racist abuse directed towards uh, Jando Fuchs in the middle of the park for Dundee. He's been fantastic recently and there was a lot he complained to the uh, officials that uh, there was racist chance being sent his way from the Ross County support and that's why he saw the video of Tam or Thomas which, whichever name he actually wants to go by at this point. I'm convinced not to give him his first name at all, just call him Brian or something like that because he can't decide whether he wants Tam or Thomas. Uh, he was seen holding up the show racism a red card t-shirt towards the away supporters at the end of the game. I mean, since then, Ross County have come out. They've issued a statement from the CEO, and they've said that they spoke to the liaising uh, member from the uh, United of the same staff, and then from the stewards around the ground. And apparently, there was no racist language used uh, in the in the incident towards. It's just there was some. More, more abusive, general abusive language directed to the midfielder who, by all accounts, was outstanding in the match. But uh, just not, still not nice to hear these reports being uh, being broadcast around uh, grounds in Scotland. We really do hate to hear these things happening uh, in not, any way, shape, or form. Not this is not meant to come off as a joke. Uh, it should be a pretty open and shut case of the racist abuse because Ross County don't travel with it like. Well, how many Ross County fans must have been in that away end? Mm. Seventy yeah, or eighty, and they yeah. were all set to get, and they're all in that huge stand behind the goal. It's the massive stand to get. I think they play like a half of that, so they're probably spread out. So if there was racist abuse, and I believe like, you believe like Andrew Flicks would not make something like that up. No, sometimes you can miss and, here uh, from the, uh, you can from the crowd, but I think he believe, like he does it to you what you want to believe as much as he heard. Like, yeah, that should be a pretty open shut case if if there is. Uh, Obviously, there is going to be an investigation. I think so. Like, obviously, again, it's without um, you. You would you would hear it at a game like that because no disrespect to both clubs, but the the Ross County, you know, Dundee United Ross County isn't exactly famous for its atmosphere, its lively yeah. atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you would hear that there are games where, as Graham says, it might be quite loud, and you'd maybe miss here mishear um, you know, maybe what's been said from the stands, but not at a game like that. And again, I would like to think that supporters of a club like Ross County when there's not very many fans there you would expect them to be a comfortably identified by um by other supporters to be honest I mean again if you go to Ross County away games week in week out as we've said there's not going to be many of you 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 would be a pretty tight-knit group I would imagine travel on the same couple of Mm -hmm. buses or you know obviously not everybody gets the bus but you know what I mean you know what I'm getting at you know they would they, Mm -hmm. they would know each other so you know if this is um if this is pretty conclusive, then I would have expected other fans by now to have came forward and said, oh, yeah, you know, this did happen. It was, you know, so-and-so. But that's obviously not happened yet. So an investigation, I believe, is going to take place. And that, the other thing is that you've talked about the Ross County statement, which got a lot of backlash. I think there'd be less backlash in Ross County. You'd believe Ross County in a sense that they, didn't think, they don't think that anything happened, although they will investigate uh, if it wasn't for the fact that Malcolm McKay is a manager and their chairman hired Malcolm McKay. Yeah. So why would we ever back what they say? Because they've already essentially ignored racism once, so why would they not ignore it again? 
Yeah, I was going to say. Hi, yeah, I was going to say. Showed that racism isn't exactly top of the bill up at uh, up at Ross County. I think would probably be a fair uh, a fair yeah, statement hope, to make. Hope it didn't happen, and if we hope it, even if it did, I hope the person responsible gets caught and is punished severely. Absolutely, no, I can completely agree with that much. Anyway, uh, I suppose not much else to discuss in Scotland. Aaron, Aaron, Kelly both lost this weekend, much to the chagrin of both of our energy sport editors, myself included, Ian McCall's a dick. Uh, Top three all lost in the championship. They did, they? Are, no, right. they are both Yeah. Aki's actually got... won. Your cousin, mm-hmm. big man. Getting himself another goal. Second best left foot in the family. Behind yourself, of course. Mm-hmm, of course. <laughs> I need to say it. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> it's very obvious. From the, from the podcast viewers that have ever seen your left foot. That, uh, so, so obvious. Uh, Should we speak about Peter Grant actually quickly? <laughs> do we need to? Can we not just laugh? We're not, <laughs> we're not just like retreading old ground with that one. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. to be fair, we probably said it already. They lost the game, and there was uh, there was quite a lot of protests at Palmerston from the the travelling support. I mean, look, fair play to the the guys that go down there because when your team's playing shite, that's not exactly a comfortable away day to get to. So uh, you know, fair play to the fans for right. getting down there mm-hmm. and supporting the team. But obviously, it's another defeat. It's. Uh, and you know the tunnel was over there beside the Dunfermline fans, which I, that in itself I thought was quite funny. And uh, obviously all the players and, and Peter Grant had to walk walk over there to the fans and walk down the tunnel. And uh, the stewards were holding back the angry mob of Dunfermline supporters. Uh, yeah, there wasn't any abuse thrown back at the supporters this time from Grant like there was at Air United. <laughs> well, I don't know. He actually he, he sarcastically clapped this time, which I thought was quite funny. <laughs> he sort of clapped the fans, but. He did it so slowly that it looked like either he was just really sad or he was doing it sarcastically. I, w- I want to believe the latter. I think, no, the latter seems more realistic, doesn't it? Uh, I-, I just quite like the headline from Queen of the South in their match report on their Twitter. Queen's granted three points by Dunfermline and granted in, a, in inverted commas. Just, that was very good social media activities. That we, we do like a good social media activity here at the, at the Football Roundup at Energy Sport. That was quite enjoyable. Uh Heading on down south of the border now, just to look at the action from the weekend in the Premier League. Graham, start with yourself because Liverpool City produced a bit of a bit of an entertaining game once again. It kind of always seems that these two kind of come together and uh, end up putting on a bit of a show. I don't know if it was a show that deserved such a thing as a joint man of the match. I think that again, just it's English football for you. That disgusted me when I actually heard that that was given out between uh, Phil Foden and Mo Salah. I mean, two. Uh, exceptional players who were massively influential in this game but joint man of the match it just it's not nice to say to be honest with you yeah well Gary Neville seems to like just fancy the pants off Phil Foden which he was good but he wasn't as good as Mo Salah yesterday I'll, give, I'll, I'll just tell you please right please now. go ahead like, I've literally got it in my notes let Graham gush about Mo Salah because I know how good he was what what can I say about gushing Mo Salah that right now he's the best player in the world like it's that's can't, you can't gush more than that. He's just no. absolutely on fire. You carried the team last season to third place finish, and this season you started absolutely unbelievable. And his goal yesterday might be the best goal he's ever scored for Liverpool. Ridiculous. Just cutting inside from the right. There was three people that he managed to rotate. He essentially ball-rolled all the way out of the game. Then he fakes off Laporte, and then at a tight angle with his right foot, sticks it in the like fires it into the corner. It was honestly unbelievable. Yeah, this game... Is consistently the best fixture in world football. Uh, in world when, you football. Add it, when you add in 
like the quality of the football, the stakes that are usually there, yeah. the competitiveness. Like I think somebody would maybe mention their classicer, but Bayern win that every time, pretty much. They do more or less. There's a little. There's although it's more it's a sporting one. There's a rival. There's a rivalry there. Like you saw Pep going mental for James Milner not getting sent off. James Milner should have been sent off. I'll make that very clear. Could have been sent off multiple times to be honest with you, <laughs> just to counter the fact that Porter should have been sent off. People might claim bias. Milner should have been sent off. That's pretty clear. But yeah, it's it's the it has been for the last three four years the best fixture in world football between probably the two best teams over the, that time period. Can't really give it much more of a going recommendation for that. Did anyone else? Struan, did you see this one, or were you still travelling back at this point? You were still. Yeah, I, I caught the highlights and what a what a game from just the goals alone. Most Salah's second goal, you know, I saw, I saw the reaction in our. Uh, in our Facebook group chat and asked at the time, you know, was it a good goal? And when you watch it back, it, it's absolutely incredible. Yeah. You know, I think, I think Foden's finish as well is excellent. I don't like a joint man of the match. I wasn't actually aware that had been given. I think Mo Salah deserved it. I think his pass from Mane's goal as well was really good. And I think Gray makes a really good point that you look back to last season at Liverpool, a lot of players had a big dip in form. Mo Salah was still one of the best players in the Premier League. And again, this season, he's been absolutely incredible. You know, in world football right now, if you said... Man is the best. Eh, sorry, Salah is the best player in world football. It'd be hard to argue against it. He's been yeah. absolutely fantastic. And as you say, the goal against Man City was incredible. I also think James Milner should have been sent off just from watching the highlights and Pep going furious. But yeah, I mean, I, I I'm quite neutral to this fixture in a way. Obviously, with my Man United bias, and it is yeah, always an enjoyable exactly. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it reminds me of the still game when they're uh, asking, you know, which which boxer are you <laughs> going to be rooting for? And, but um, yeah, it's it's really really good fixture. Lovely stuff. Uh, other action in the Premier League. Chelsea get back to winning ways. A three-one home win against Southampton. I was delighted. Timo Werner actually got himself a goal. Uh, I'm I'm surprised that Struan's not cursed him this season that thus far by having him in his fantasy team consistently. But I don't know. I feel I feel like he probably could have had it had his first one. I feel like it was a bit of a harsh one to reel out for the foul on the build up in VAR. But uh, got the second of Chelsea's three, uh, which would have put them ahead and then wrapped up the game with Ben Chilwell's goal uh, a few minutes later against 10-man Southampton who after scoring the penalty to equalise it James Ward-Press was sent off uh, the nasty challenge it was, it was a bit of a poor challenge I said it was unsure when I saw it at first from me but I saw a different replay from like like the centre circle side rather than the goal side and oh it's like studs like into the Achilles it's not nice no not at all uh, yeah, I, I, was, I was just quite happy seeing this one. Uh, Werner actually scored. And interesting for me, seeing like players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek and Ross Barkley actually play roles, contributing attacking roles, because Loftus-Cheek gets a flick on for the Chaloba opener and then Ross Barkley sprays a lovely ball across to Azpilicueta and he taps it across the face of goal for Werner. So these kind of bit part players trying to, kind of getting a bit more involved and Tuchel kind of managing his squad a bit effectively. Wasn't- it wasn't convincing from Chelsea's. No, he no. He haven't been conv- he's actually been not convincing for more than just... He'd lost two in a row, but like, I look back to the Villa games in both the League and the League Cup that mm-hmm. were spectacular. You beat Tottenham, good for you. Tottenham are easy to beat. Uh, but they kind of needed that red card to give him the springboard. I would have said so because Southampton were ramping up at that point. I, th- I think the international break's coming at a good time for Chelsea so they can refresh. and They got mountain back in the second half and I think that... If Chelsea don't have either Mount or Canty playing, they will struggle a little bit. It can be understated how important Mount is for that Chelsea team and just the progression of the team as well. So hopefully he's fit for a long, long time because he's a very, very talented footballer. Uh, I've got it in my notes 
that Struan can go off on one if we've got time. Struan, how much do you think you've got to say about Manchester United this week? Because, I mean, you might want to have your tissues next to you just in case you start crying again, but... How much time have we got? That's the, that's well, the we're, we're, we've just entered the 51st minute of this episode. Do you know what? Just just buzz me if it's, if it's <laughs> going too long. Or, or feel free to just leave the call, Jamie and Graham, if you've got something else to do or whatever. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know what's... Uh, because... It's fear that if so maybe it'll just be the same things that are re- like uh, repeated, the, yeah. The bit yeah. Repeated last week. So what's like in the last week? Because there's something that you've picked up on or noticed that has annoyed you, or is it just more of the same? More of the same as the issue. Well, I, I think definitely more of the same. But for the for this fixture, obviously against Everton, Everton are a good side. I've been really impressed with them under Rafa Benitez. You know, Graham, you made the call last week that Dukuri has been one of the best players in the Premier League, and he played an absolutely massive part in their goal, but. You know, Everton were without Seamus Coleman, Andre Gomez, Dominic Cavalloon and Richarlison, four starters. And I don't know if Ole has taken that into consideration and felt the opportunity that he can rest Sancho, he can rest Pogba and he can rest Ronaldo. For me, I think this was a very poor call from him to as well start Anthony Martial. You know, I know Cristiano Ronaldo's 36 years of age and you think he does need a rest, but there's an international break coming up. I don't necessarily know why... He felt the need to do that. You know, Martial did score, but he also missed a sitter in that game, the, the header from Wambasaka. And Man United actually looked quite good in the opening half. I thought they were playing well. They had a good tempo to the game, but then Solskjaer made a double change. And on paper, bringing Sancho and Cristiano Ronaldo on, it's, it's two incredible players that you can bring onto the pitch. But Man United were bad as soon as that happened. Sancho was the best attacker that Man United had, but that was not exactly hard to do. I thought Ronaldo, you know, Ronaldo's good, but he doesn't have that same drive and energy that Cavani brings you. And the game just totally changed. Man United were poor. It's yet another case of, you know, Solskjaer's tactics didn't work out at all. I think you can see the benefits of a tactical foul, the way if Fred just pushes Damari Gray down, he stops yeah, that goal from happening I, I, and I, takes I, a book. And, you, I, want you know but, I, mean? I want to button in that just a little bit. I think Fred's been given a little bit of unfair treatment towards that goal it's not he's not good but he's one of four or five players that's it's getting blamed and because fred's a scapegoat fred's getting it worse luke shaw is terrible in that goal luke shaw runs over to make a tackle and then completely messy just like decore just gets completely dicked on pretty much i shouldn't say that uh, he just gets completely done by decore <laughs> he gets completely done by decore bruno fernandez's initial corner is, is terrible that is a bad there's corner. There is like Fred is a no, and then Fred is a known player with a who lacks strength. There are mo- there's more than just Fred there. Why is Fred allowed to be the one that puts that challenge in with no backup? It was bad all around. I'm sticking up for my man Fred, getting all the blame. Well, what's actually interesting is I, I thought Fred was really good in that game. I honestly think Fred had a good game. I think it's hard to identify a player who was you know bad, properly bad. They just weren't playing well as a team. And I think that's been a common theme of Man United is there's no system, there's no style of play. You know, I, I don't like using the excuse they're just winning games because of individual brilliance. But at times when you watch them, you think, why are they not playing the same way? You know, you talk about, even Graham Potter made the point that he was missing Yves Basuma, but he kept his system the same because he didn't need to, to change too much about it. You know, you look at Jurgen Klopp, he has the same system regardless, no matter how many changes he makes, you know, Guardiola's the same, and I think that's just a massive issue that Man United have. I mean, I, I, I hate moaning 
about Man United. I know I do it quite well, but it's just another result where you have to be asking questions of Solskjaer. You know, the past couple of seasons, Man United have had excuses. They've had gaps in the team. And while, yes, they do lack a holding midfielder right now, that team on paper is good enough to compete for trophies. It's good enough to be challenging for the Premier League title. But the way things are going, Man United are once again only going to be challenging for top four. I think any sort of trophy that they can compete for is, is out of the question at this point. We Okay, uh, yeah, answer. I was going to ask another question, but you kind of answered that. The yeah. statement this team is good enough to be challenging for trophies. Is it? Mm-hmm. I think so. How, like, in what way did you watch Liverpool Man City yesterday and think that Man United on that level? I don't you're... think they're on that level, but what? that doesn't necessarily mean Man United can't compete for trophies. But they're, they're competing against three teams that are way better than them in every competition, at least. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't in PSG so. Surely that means that they can't compete for trophies if they've got five teams better than them. Quite comfortable. Well, no, I think that's. I think that's unfair. You know, Leicester won the FA Cup last season, and their team is nowhere near as good as Liverpool and Man City. Mafia Fair enough, you can win the FA Cup. Mafia and the domestic cups are in England. They're pretty well known that I'd rather probably go out and focus on Europe and the league. That's what their value. So maybe you can challenge to that. I don't really think that's much to get excited about. I'd rather finish fourth in the league than win the FA Cup. No, I, I, I get that. You know, obviously, the League Cup and the FA Cup don't have the same shine they used to, but those are trophies. That's that's what I mean, basically. This team can compete for trophies. I mean, the Europa League in 2017 was the last trophy Man United won, which is coming up five years, which is pretty pathetic for a team of Man United's calibre, the amount of money that they've spent. They really should be <clears throat> doing better. And I, I know, obviously, Champions League is out of the question. There's there's no, the no way... Yeah. So you've got one trophy you can possibly win this season unless you go to the Champions League. Well, could have had two, but he messed up in the League Cup as well. So why wouldn't you mess up in the FA Cup? Well, they could. With a worse squad than people in that. I'm, just, I'm not trying to, like... I'm just interested in what you're asking. I'm not trying to say bash like your head in, but I'm just confused. Like, I look at that depth... I said this in Saturday. I look at that depth and think... That depth's not there. I get told that, man, you're from superb depth. Your, your, your first choice in midfielders that would be sixth or seventh choice in any of the other top four sides teams. You've got a starting right back that can't attack, and well, I'll this I'll just get out of this one. Uh, you've got a striker that you brought in, and since he's brought in, Mason Greenwood looked amazing, hasn't scored a goal. Jason Sancho hasn't fit in. The cohesion and attack's not been there, just like the cohesion and attack wasn't there for Juventus in the last couple of seasons. Just like the cohesion and attack's not been there for Portugal since twenty sixteen. Isn't that to me that seems that there's major issues across the board? So I I I I'm confused about where this depth and talent to win trophies is, to be honest with you. Well, one phrase that I use quite a lot with Man United is on paper, because on paper a lot of these players are very good. I mean, we saw Mason Greenwood at the start of the season, how well he was playing, because he was playing as that central striker. He was able to drift and pick up the ball, you know, he could press, and to have players around him, you know, I think Paul Pogba on the left wing is just a different animal to the Paul Pogba who's playing in midfield for Man United. Yeah. I think he's so much better there because Man United don't have anybody to just sit and hold. You know, when you look at the French national team, Pogba can play alongside Kante because Kante is absolutely unbelievable. But Pogba alongside Fred, we saw it in the Wolves game, it was absolutely atrocious. They, they just cannot defend at all. You see it on other occasions, you know, Matic and Pogba is possibly the better pivot. But again, Matic is 33. He's not going to get the game time. Donny van de Beek, I don't know why on earth he was signed at this point, to be honest. He's just... Not getting an opportunity at all. And, and Scott McTominay, I like Scott McTominay, but for me, I think he's better going forward. I think he's an eight. And yeah, it's been it's been difficult. I mean, the cohesion and attack, I think you're definitely spot on. It's not changing. We, we keep 
Sorry, it is changing too much is what I'm trying to say. You know, I've always envisaged when Rashford comes back, he'll be on the left, Sancho will be on the right, and it'll probably be Ronaldo up front, possibly with Greenwood. But then you think about, you know, there's also Cavani in there. Martial, I don't know what Solskjaer's plan is with him, whether he's going to keep him out on that left wing, move him into the centre. And then, of course, there is Pogba as well. So I think the problem is, on paper, you might have a lot of talented individual players. It's just getting them all to function well on the pitch, which is easier said than done because... You know, you talk about that defence, a lot of really good individual players. David De Gea has been excellent this season, and yet he's only kept one clean sheet. And I think that's telling of just how unorganised this team are at times. Yeah, just to the final, I don't mean to blame, I don't think I think Ronaldo's come in and said, we're focusing on me and getting me goals. I think, perhaps more concerningly, it's almost like there's an aura that we've got Cristiano Ronaldo, we need to feed Cristiano Ronaldo from other players about him having to say it, which I would potentially be more worried by. That the players almost it's like, it's like Ronaldo's come in and the players all around them almost feel a level beneath them and I don't think at this point a lot of them are beneath them and I think that's affecting them I feel like the attack the attacking plays much slower when Ronaldo's there and then there's also no press really with Ronaldo's up top Ronaldo's not doing that job it's not what he should be doing at this stage he's 36 years old so I'm worried going forward from I'm not worried I hope, I hope it continues I don't want Manu to be good uh but if I'm a Man U fan, I'd be concerned going forward that attacking-wise that we aren't really at the level that in paper that we sh- maybe should be. And really, on pa- maybe the papers doesn't tell the whole story. Well, I think what's an interesting point about the attack so far is that if you take Ronaldo out of that equation, it's, it's interesting to see how United would have gotten on in these games because whether Ronaldo's there or not, I don't think United are playing it differently. You know, you look back to last season and I made the point a lot. United never won games comfortably. There were so many times where they had to come from behind and rescue a goal. And quite often you're talking about either Marcus Rashford or Bruno Fernandes were pulling something out of the bag. And adding somebody of Ronaldo's quality up front, it's it's a good focal point to have. But as you say, the statistics came out the other day, you know, he's not pressing at all from the front foot. And as I made the point a couple of minutes ago as well, when Cavani was playing against Everton, it was a totally different game because he was moving, he was picking up the ball. Cavani's work rate is ridiculous. For a player of 34 years of age, he just never stops running, to be honest. I think he's such a such an all-round forward. And then as soon as Ronaldo came on, it just totally changed. And in that game against Everton, they were just marking him out of the game. He had no chance. West Ham gave the same foil. You know, you just have to have a really solid defence at the back, keep Ronaldo quiet, and, and he won't be able to get through there. And it's just... It's difficult to pinpoint exactly what has gone wrong with uh, with United because obviously I am happy that Ronaldo is there. I don't think he's completely ruined the team. I think that's a little bit unfair. I think Ronaldo is bringing goals and perhaps if he wasn't there, Man United wouldn't have gotten a result against Villarreal, gotten a result against Newcastle, West Ham. But yeah, it's just, it's a tough one to identify exactly what is going wrong. Obviously, Ollie out is the classic, the easy go-to, you know, blame the manager. But I think you're right in saying that there are definitely some issues happening up front in the way the team is working around. Sorry, Jack, back to you, you. Still, you. You're still there, Jack. I. <laughs> Sorry, what's happening? Oh, there's a podcast going on. That was again top top analysis from Stuart Garvey on Manchester United. That's uh, thanks. The only type of content you'll get here at Energy Sport is just when we're not talking absolute nonsense. You, we we do uncover some good and analytical language and analytical discussions. So good, well we. well done. Well, we, did you say we. Well, <laughs> Stuart, yeah, Stuart mostly on a podcast, yeah. <laughs> Like you put fifty p in him and off he goes. Like it's. Uh... In my defence, I was asked questions that I had to answer. Yeah, I was. I was steering the camera. I was having to see the conversation. I was enjoying it. It was good. No, I enjoyed, no, I enjoyed listening. To be fair, it was. It was really good. I'm a big fan of that. Uh, 
I suppose I don't. <laughs> that kind of brings us to the end of the, Eng- the English Premier League coverage. To be honest, uh, there were other couple of interesting results. I mean, Palace coming back from two 0 down at home to oh, Leicester. Lisi. Michael Olise getting his first goal. I know you're a big fan, Graham. So that was good to see him come off the bench when I think me and you both think he should be starting. Probably. Yeah, for... he's come back from injury, so I can understand it. But now he should be starting. Yeah. Uh, Leeds picking up the first win uh, of the season 1-0 at home to Watford uh, Norwich getting the first point and 0-0 away to Burnley and what is probably the epitome of a 0-0 game the two of them actually coming up against each other uh, Hwanky Chan scored twice oh, his goals Ooh. are nice I watched match today his goals are very nice finishes like class good strikers finishes mm. it kind of seems to be building up remember a couple of years ago Graham we were talking about that partnership between uh, Jimenez and Traore Mm-hmm. It seems as though kind of the way they were playing, it kind of seems to be. Yeah, so two assists for Raul as well. Yes, Mister Mister. I I just like Raul Jimenez. It's nice to see him getting more and more involved. The better he gets back from that nasty head injury, and have to talk about Brentford again, don't you? I mean, last minute winner away at West Ham. The bees are absolutely buzzing with that one. The pun pun massively massively intended. I think Brentford just scare me, to be honest. They're, you can't really count them out of anything. I heard Brentford play next. I, 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 I believe it's us. They're at home to Chelsea. Yes, yeah. it is, yeah. A half-five kick-up, so that'll be a tele game as well. Mm-hmm. Lovely. You seem to be getting a London derby every single weekend in the Premier League. London teams, oh, Brentford, West Ham, Arsenal, Chelsea. Palace. 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 Yeah, it's like six teams. Watford so as well, play. technically. Watford, yeah. Watford don't count. I'm pretty sure Watford <laughs> do not count. <laughs> No, I, w- I wouldn't count them, but I mean, technically they're a London borough, maybe. I don't know. Brentford, yeah, Bre- Brentford are West London, so it is kind of local rivals for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. Brentford and- are Tom Hardy's team. Is Tom that right enough? Yep. If you had a sport team, it was Brentford, because that's where it was uh, raised. Someone say the-, the future of James Bond. Oh, how how many James Bond promos, like, or related things have they been putting in and stuff this week? Every, every single... Uh, coverage of putting something James Bond related and particularly uh, Martin, what was Martin Tyler's one yesterday that I've already forgotten what it said it was it made me cringe so bad it was like uh, it was, it was pretty oh the name's Milner or 007 Milner was it not or James oh it was oh, that. no <laughs> no nah, there was another one it wasn't that it wasn't that I, uh, I can't remember what it was but i got to say i got absolutely no time for it like can... no time nice I've, I... oh hey. very, very good <laughs> <laughs> James James number seven, no time to dive. <laughs> it was very much like his De Gea, De Bruyne, De Arby. Oh, the De, De Arby. That's a, that, that was terrible. Martin Tyler knows he's established at this point, so he doesn't actually have to try too hard because De Arby was genuinely one of the worst. Matchday Day 2's one was nice. It's like Mark Chapman was very self aware and was like, Yeah, everyone's done James Bond. We're doing James Bond too. And I did a match, it was like a Liverpool Man City hate game before they showed the highlights package. It was like showing like, kind of lots of, what's all, like, all, the, all the games all about with like different Bond songs. Oh, so uh, it was like Alison, like, the, the man with the golden glove and that, or uh, something. It was decent. And then like oh, a goals montage with like Live and Let Die. It was, it was actually really good. So I'll give that a bit Martin Tyler. Yeah. Was, Put that stuff in a bin fire. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he gave it a go, I suppose. It's had to be talked about. Hopefully we don't hear any of that going forward because we really shouldn't at this point. Uh, I suppose that kind of wraps us up. Then. Is, is there much to talk about over Europe this weekend? I mean, I'm... Uh, Real, Barca, Bayern and PSG all lost. That's a bit of a rarity that that actually happens, I suppose. You're right enough. Uh, uh, that that was a PSG losing against Rennes 
while playing Messi, Mbappe and Neymar and not registering a shot on target. I don't think Barcelona, reg- they play the Atletico, I'm not sure they registered a shot on target. No, I think there was a goal, it was just no goals for Barcelona. I think they're like, no goals in four games this season and last year they had only five games they didn't score a goal or something like that. Bayern lost at home to Frankfurt, they haven't won a game this season yet, at least in the league. Quite pleasing. And Madrid lost to newly promoted Espanyol, so fun all round for those European teams. We do like that. We like fun all around when it when it comes to the, the biggest teams losing. Uh, Jamie will be buzzing to see we are in Hickey, absolutely smashing it with Bologna once again, scoring uh, in a 3-0 rout of Lazio. Uh, and according to who scored, he was actually the top-rated player in Serie A over the weekend. Yeah, very good. Good for him. Yeah. Flying. He's doing very, doing very well. I, uh, I'll need to try and find out, actually, if Hearts have got some sort of sell-on sell clause. On I would have... <laughs> I would imagine uh, they'll they'll hopefully have something in there, um, but I know Celtic did have a, a pretty decent one as well. So hopefully Hearts have got something built in there because I'm sure if he's doing well at Serie A, one of the kind of lesser teams, if you like, then uh, it might not be too long until one of the bigger teams in that league maybe uh, takes a chance on him. I thought, I thought you were going to say I hope they've got a buyback clause on him at first there. Nah, he's a he's a big Celtic fan anyway. He can fuck off. <laughs> We've got Stephen Kingsley now. It's fine. <laughs> there you go. How, however many years has senior Stephen Kingsley is. Uh, you've got me in the stand as well, actually. I could play left-back. That was my position. I thought you played sure, striker, could... no? Well, I started off as a striker, mate. I've got a, a very lengthy career. We could be on here another hour. If we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> like, that could be that could be an energy sport in-depth podcast one day. Just the life and career of Jamie McIntosh before he became... <laughs> tragically um, cut short. <laughs> tragically cut short before it even began. <laughs> <laughs> there's a major project for you Jamie just do a major project a documentary of your own football career I'll just like... get the camera standing behind me and just do like a times at crossbar challenge or something <laughs> <laughs> and with that image of Jamie presenting to a camera like a, like a 2014 YouTuber we're going we're gonna to wrap things up here uh, with another episode of the Football Roundup thank you very much to everyone for listening make sure to subscribe to the Energy Sport Podcast feed wherever you get yours to make sure you get new episodes as soon as they come out uh, follow us on the socials at ENRG Sport on Twitter and on Instagram and follow us and just follow us over to the website as well energysport.net to keep up to date with all the content we are putting out uh, over the course of the season and beyond thank you very much to Graham Sinclair Jamie McIntosh and Struan Garvey for joining me this afternoon I can't speak about whether Energy uh, Energy Extra Time is going to be back on Thursday I'm not entirely sure what happens Sean McGill does have his laptop back so he is available again so we'll just need to wait and see what happens with that but hopefully we get Energy's little brother podcast back on the go as, as soon as we possibly can but until then my name has been Jack Donnelly this has been the Football Roundup by Energy Sport thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next time